0: hearing your mic. Uh-oh. Um,
1: I hear you. the headphones.
0: Yeah, well, I'm coming through. I'm not sure if you're coming through. Um, Uh-oh. There we go.
1: There we go.
0: Yeah, oh. I had uh, the wrong channel.
1: Oh, yeah. Anyway,
0: welcome again to Outlook. We have a new theme, as you just heard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I felt like I heard it for the first time again.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we'd actually like to thank... Tom Decker, who was on our show two weeks ago. Um, after the show, he came back to my place because I showed him kind of my setup. He uh, he mentioned that he was into music a bit, took the same music program. So he was interested to see, being blind, how I had my setup at home. And um, Instead of just showing him the stuff, he kind of came right out and said, bring up a keyboard, because uh, we mentioned we were looking to do a theme for the show. And yeah, it was great. He composed that theme you just heard. I helped through the recording and mixing and engineering and I think we're going to update it a bit more add some voice voiceovers on it to introduce the show but just wanted to break it out today and that's, that's what I got
1: Yeah, I am um, I think I, I like it because it's punchy and I thought for a mon- Monday morning show uh, we should have something that sort of gets you pumped a little bit because <laughs> these Mondays are always, often seem to be dreary and that, but so I like that.
0: Yeah. If anyone caught our very first episode of Outlook, we played the promo I did for the Canadian Federation of the Blind, and <laughs> it was a little darker than that. Not quite as good for a Monday morning, but <laughs> anyhow, for people listening for the first time, maybe we should give a quick summary of kind of what this show's about. We're still relatively new; been doing this for just over a month now.
1: Yeah, uh, it's um, it's amazing. We've had. Uh, three guests <laughs> so we haven't had a lot of episodes with just you and me which that's kind of the basis of the show so that's what we're back to doing today but uh, yeah I, I still um, I'm the writer here so I'm, I'm trying to come up with a snappy line to put over that theme to sort of describe in just a few words or or a sentence or so what or a couple sentences whatever what we're about um, so we're basically a show about disability issues accessibility issues um, equality um, and at the basis of that again is you and me and the fact that we are part of the Canadian Federation of the blind and here in Ontario and across Canada which some people may not have heard of most people probably haven't so we just wanted a place uh, to be able to talk about these things that that um, we the two of us live with and
0: yeah I mean it's You know, it doesn't seem like there is a ton of coverage or information out there on blindness, and as far as in the media um, and in the you know on the radio. So it's nice to have this this platform to be able to discuss living our lives as as blind people, and we're going to touch on other disabilities and accessibility issues as well. But the main focus is obviously going to be related to our experiences growing up and living life as blind blind people.
1: Yeah, what is our what is has our outlook been? Right. So, um, but uh, I like that theme, and that gets us going. And um, so, we're, I guess, today's the uh, near the end of October. Uh, Halloween coming up. Are you excited about that? Hmm.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how much it makes a difference. Um, I do feel like part of it's probably just that I don't. I'm not as into costumes. It's kind of like you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but all, another part of it I feel like could be, have a fact um, something to do with being blind is just not being able to see costumes. I don't know.
1: Uh, it just, we're just those, you know, not very fun blind people who yeah. don't <laughs> have any fun. This um, time. I
0: actually did dress up the other night, though. There was a party, a house house show, and I have a Batman costume. Pretty pretty cheap costume, but just anyway, like
1: just like a cape and
0: a... yeah, and a really Weird plasticky mask, um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I always thought Batman was a funny thing. To, since I'm blind, and I used to, you know, I used to have a when I had my early amateur basement studio at home before I moved moved away. I used to call it the Bat Cave, and just thought it was, I thought it was clever anyway. But so yeah, I'm. It's
1: like blind as a.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm Batman, Does and do you have sonar? My my. My friend is Robin, even though he's much taller and, you know, I think it was kind of funny. He's the bigger guy. But regardless, I did end up dressing up for that. Um, That might be the extent of my Halloween this year. And you dressed up as nothing.
1: Yeah. No, I I like candy. Yesterday was National Chocolate Day. That's always good. No, I mean, it could be partly that if you can't see, it's harder to, you know, See yourself as another character, and I mean but that doesn't matter. Sometimes yeah, I don't want
0: to use that as an excuse because I feel like mm. part of that's just the way the way we are. We I just,
1: think we're both just yeah. Some people like that
0: could still be into that. So, um.
1: but yeah, that's so that's the end of October, and um, it's also the end of um, National Disability Employment Awareness Month, which we touched a little bit on that at the beginning of the month, uh, talking about the kind of. Some people, as as one person in particular likes to, likes to say, the staggering um, inequality there, the, the the difference between employment when you when you're sighted and when you're blind, the the struggle here in Canada even to find employment sometimes.
0: Yeah, and I I think some of that has to do with the fact that most people when they're in high school even start a job, you know, just as a had a restaurant or a fast food place or somewhere which isn't the most exciting job but it still gets you that experience whereas I find a lot of blind people including including myself never really had those jobs growing up at all so the longer it go, you go without that then it's like what what do I have to put on a resume, what experience do I have um, when, when really life experience and the more you volunteer and get out there you, it does give you some qualifications that you just have to look at it differently I guess than in other situations.
1: You just got to keep at it and be really tenacious about it, I think.
0: Yeah, actually, this this past week, um, I'm since I graduated college, I haven't had a job, so I've been really trying to pursue finding one, and I found a place in London called Leeds, it was recommended by a friend, and I researched it as well, that is supposed to help people with disabilities, just sort of help them with their resumes and cover letters and, and everything like that, plus hopefully, as it says in the name, some leads towards a job. Or maybe they have some connections there. Um, so I've, I've registered for that. So hopefully in a week or two, I'll be booked for an appointment to meet the people there and get assigned to a worker and see if I can find something soon. Because getting a little stir-crazy being at home all the time.
1: Well, it's just difficult the older you get. And it just, it really becomes a bit of a... Um Feelings of, um, I don't know if you'd say shame or embarrassment when you'd say, you know, you're, you know, your are like 20s, 30, 30, whatever, and you still barely have had uh, work. Uh-huh.
0: And, yeah, uh, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, they're, they're usually going to ask you, what do you do?
1: <laughs> and
0: not to say we don't do, th- do a lot of stuff. Like, for me, I could say I have, I have a music radio show, a talk, a talk show, I do a podcast. I'm the treasurer of the CFB in Ontario, so it's not like I don't have anything to say, but I still, something that's on my mind now, like, every day is that I, you know, I want to actually have a paid a paid job, and that's, that's all about raising expectations, which is kind of what we're about, where it's, when there is such a low percentage of blind people that have jobs, it sort of is kind of, I don't know, it's hard to be inspired sometimes, because it's just like, oh, it's... A little bit more difficult, and it's it's easy to kind of be like so many other people in my position don't. So, yeah, that's the way it is. But it's not it's not a good way to look at it. You gotta gotta raise those expectations and realize that you can you can do it. You just might take a little bit more work, but it takes it takes work for anyone, right? So it's
1: well, yeah. You you run this um, the radio show, the board, and all that when we're in here, and um, we both have our braille displays here. Speaking of braille. There's these tools that you you could use just like anyone else would, and you could do lots of jobs it's just yeah it's just um, finding them and getting in the right situation and keeping at it like' and I it's, said. it's
0: getting more in the future and a big a big thing for the Canadian Federation of the blind is to get all blind people together, really expand the community and connections so that other people can mentor people to sort of get more blind people out in the workplace because the more employers that work with blind people or, or see blind people working in, in jobs will, you know, sort of change that, those, I don't know if you'd want to call them stereotypes or just sort of low expectations that there are is in society without even necessarily people realizing it. It's more that it's just, it's not out there that much so it's hard for people to imagine how it's possible sometimes, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah well you just, I mean, there are plenty of blind people who do work and then you start Talking about how you know it's it's a struggle, so then people get a mixed message. Even even uh, we do, where you're looking for um, people you can look up to who are doing the kind of things you would like to do, and you can sort of ask them how they got got to where they are. So that's always nice. So that's why it's good to have a group, um, an organization, kind of like the CFB that you can, like you said, yeah. Uh, look to and see how other people are doing it.
0: So, Yeah, and that was a big thing about going to the conventions that we've mentioned on this show previously. The one in Orlando in particular because there was close to 3,000 blind people there and you, you know, everyone still is at different levels, but you got to see so, like so many professional blind people working in in, in major industries. So it did, it did sort of, while in some sense it's sort of overwhelming and sort of discouraging, in another way it's very encouraging and sort of makes you realize that there are a lot of people out there and y- you can you can do it so it's
1: well it's it's just sort of I didn't last week we didn't talk that much about the National Braille conference we let Eric sort of talk about what his experience was um, but yeah uh, it was it was good to see I mean the CNIB uh, which a lot of people may be familiar with they Put on a, a Braille conference every year in Toronto, and um, not all blind people read Braille, but m- most people do.
0: Well, that's another that's another interesting discussion we're talking about the Braille conference, and not sure how much we've touched on it. This show, how bo- both Carrie and I are major Braille readers and really appreciate having Braille, whereas there is a large segment of people who are blind that just. Uh, either didn't have the enough training with braille or practice or some you know it's like anything some people just aren't as aren't as into it but for us um well i don't want to speak for you but i (laughs) think i kind of can at this point but anyhow it's we find it very important and really want people to continue using it now with technology being so so vocal with you know talking to your phone and not having that tactile sort of Seeing the words and or feeling the words, I should say, in front of you, and kind of helps with literacy skills and all of that. So I've definitely noticed that more older people read Braille than younger people. But saying that, I mean, I've, I have met through these conventions and conference a lot of people in their twenties or thirties that are reading Braille. So it's 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 still popular, but it's definitely losing a bit of um, of use. I find i've I've noticed.
1: Well, that's. That's why I I think we need a Braille conference.
0: Yeah, so that was probably one of the major reasons Carrie and I went to this Braille conference a week and a half ago.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I wouldn't have probably if I hadn't been asked to present, but like Brian just said, you know, he and I, we're just big, big fans of Braille. (laughs) We just, it's the best. It's literacy, really, you know? It's like if you never learned, um, you know basic spelling and practice your letters and things like that. Technology really can't... Technology can enhance what Braille already is, and that it's been around uh, for 200 years now, almost. But... So, yeah, the conference, um, that's basically the way we both went. Now, like I said, I I was presenting, and uh, this is a whole other subject, but... um,
0: Yeah, if we want to talk maybe a couple minutes on what you presented about, and I don't know if we've... I don't think we've discussed the... National Network of Equitable Library Services too much on the show. It's, it's a bit of a mouthful to say. But. I think we,
1: we should have a guest speaker, a guest on the show who knows more about that. I don't claim to be an expert on that. But um, basically, my, the paper that um, my co-presenter and I did back in the spring with a bunch of other writers and researchers was um, uh, Improving the Availability of Braille in Canadian Public Libraries. So that's a mouthful of a title. But um, really what it is is that it's demystifying Braille and putting it out there and saying that it should be a part of local libraries. Um,
0: Yeah, because right now there's CELA, which is the CNIB library, and you can order Braille from them, but that is still a separate service. It's not integrated with the public library system.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's... I mean, we always got books from the CNIB and it was this, they came from this big library in Toronto or whatever and it was always such a separate thing that we didn't access libraries anymore because there was really no, I mean, there's a section of audiobooks but basically you walk into a building full of these print books and you you feel kind of um, detached from that and libraries are supposed to be about community, right? So that means you're less involved in your community and that's fine if that's what you want to do, and that's how it ends and up. I
0: mean, growing up, we—that's all we had, and we weren't into the advocacy so much back then. Obviously, so we—we were—we were happy to have this service, and it was—it was great, and it still is. I think it still has its benefits for sure. But it's—it's it's like you say, you know, you, you go to a library, a public library, it's a community thing. Why? Why don't they have some braille, some braille in a in any library that you can just go into and, and get, just like anyone else would with a book? Plus. I also think it kind of, you're talking about how Braille is sort of losing its importance a little bit, well, or not its importance, but its use maybe with new technology by having, starting to sort of bring it into more local public libraries, it, you know, then you can, parents can show, show their kids, even, even people who aren't blind could be more aware of Braille or at least see it around more instead of it being this separate sort of thing you'd only know about if you're involved with the CNIB in their library.
1: Yeah, so, so much of um, you know that is just belonging and being a part of things. So the paper we uh, helped put together is what we presented at the conference to a small but attentive audience. And um, I think it was a good fit. It's just, you feel a little awkward, right? Because, I mean, there's a bit of a, not a rivalry, but between NELS and CELA. One is owned by the CNIB, which is pretty much king here in Canada right and especially in Ontario I find whereas NELS is the library that was started more recently and it's it's out west a little more but they're really trying to expand they've been getting some grants from the government the last few years a million dollars at a time CNIB always gets a little more but at least that's something and it, they use that money to produce books um, and basically the paper has four issues and then we came up with five recommendations Um, of what how to you know enact those those recommendations that were made in the paper so basically um, putting a little bit of braille book a few braille books or like a section of braille books in each library across the country which you know I know braille is known take up more room than regular books but yeah I mean
0: you won't be able to have tons of braille books at every library because it's just I you mean, know it it does take up a lot of space and so I'm not exactly sure okay
1: you, I'm not sure um, how many libraries would there are in Canada uh, but if you picture a little bit of Braille in each of them and then uh, you across the country libraries would share that if somebody in in Ontario wanted a specific book if it had been requested already in, and made into Braille then you would get it from whichever library in Canada had it and then you just take it back to the library when you're done and it would get sent again and um, So that's one of them. But then there's also um, providing for people with little low income, um, more affordable Braille displays like the ones you and I are using here, the electric Braille machines, where you could download a book like anyone else and read it in Braille on your machine. Um, One of the things is also getting the government to give more funding, especially to independent Braille producers. So people who are already blind who know what, Braille's all about, who would produce the books instead of one sort of singular place where you would like, you know, hire to to make all these Braille books which has been the past, so that's what we're hoping to do and it's slow and it's hard to get librarians to understand why we want this um, they think, you know often that we should be happy with what we have and that, oh, there's the CNIB, why do you need anything else? And, it's and really that's, that's
0: hard. the whole thing about it is, you know people of, often say it's it's great to have op- options. Like why is there just one one option that people feel is out there? You want to have, you know, different different choices. So it's definitely an important thing. And I'm I'm sure we'll do an episode very like like Carrie mentioned, hopefully have a guest speaker on at some point, someone who's more involved, but it's great that Carrie that you had the chance to contribute to this paper that was that was produced and present at the Braille conference.
1: Yeah, I just felt like I'm a part of something and the paper is getting around slowly but surely. Uh, it's been out for several months now and I'm hoping librarians are starting to come across it uh, and that it will um, start making waves <laughs> if if that's possible.
0: Yeah, so we're down to like the last five minutes or so. So I'm not sure if there's anything else we wanted to talk more about the Braille conference a little bit.
1: There's um, probably plenty to say. I also
0: wanted to mention quickly that the fundraiser is going on here at the station. It's fundraising season here at Radio Western. And you can go to radiowestern.ca slash funding drive to learn all about it and contribute if you would like. It's every little bit helps and we really appreciate it here at the station. It gives us this opportunity to do, do a show today like we are where we discuss these these issues that not many people know about or aren't discussed enough so I think I could say for both of us we really appreciate this opportunity and stuff like this isn't available in the community without without some support from the listeners and so any little bit helps so yeah. radiowestern.ca slash funding drive
1: funding drive yeah I mean public libraries and university radio stations college radio stations all that kind of thing is just a great a boost for the community I always think
0: so is there anything specific about the Braille Conference you wanted to discuss? Any
1: <laughs> sessions
0: you went to there that you liked or just the overall atmosphere
1: of the conference? Well, I um, I really liked, on the second day at, at lunch, we all in the big main room, they had the, uh, well, what do they call them? Now, the Braille Literacy Contest that they have every year. Um, they had the winners. Um, they presented them with the checks that they won the money that they won. And uh, basically, I did this contest back in 2000. Um and you have to write a story or some poetry using braille now i, th- I don't know if it's yeah, I'm anything. not sure how
0: they do it now with computers and everything 'cause <laughs>
1: well,
0: well, the point back then being that you know they didn't want you to use spell check and all 'cause it was no. it's a test of the literacy braille skills literacy, so, so back when you were doing it, I remember you with the the brailer that we had at home, which is people often compare to a typewriter just based on how it looks, but it's a it's a quite the machine and it's pretty noisy, and uh Carrie had to write her entry on a brailler so she was
1: so I would write all I'd start writing my story and as soon as I would make a mistake I would have to do, start again because I didn't want them to find any mistakes in the braille so I I think that's maybe why I won. You know, it's a reason I was really diligent about that. <laughs> uh, but so I won that. Then I never did go to the conference to get presented with anything, and uh, I
0: was eighteen that. years later. You,
1: yeah. So I got to see. These, to I conference. got to see these kids, um, so, you know, half English speaking and half French. So you didn't really understand the, the French children, but there was a little French child and a seventeen-year-old a girl, and they both, you know, it's just nice to hear kids. Loving Braille, loving loving literacy and stories and writing and poetry and um, exhibiting their creativity. So it was just really great to see that. 18 years later, it made my made me smile. What about you? What was your standing up memory before we go?
0: Um, a lot of it for me is meeting people and making connections, and definitely talked to a lot of people there. Made mm-hmm. some made some good connections, and another one was the one of the sessions I went to which I'm cons- considering trying to contact the the uh, lady who put this session on because it was mm-hmm. an interesting sort of discussion about... She came up with the word diffability, which pretty much is saying that disability is kind of a... Ha- has connotations it's as a, a lacking, word.
1: We're lacking ability. Well, of course, you yeah. know, we lack, I mean, the, lack the ability to see, which is fine, but that it sort of, it sort of makes it all lacking... Uh, other things in society's mind and, and even in our own. So, yeah, I like this word too.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a neat concept and it sort of looks at how much words actually affect things versus mm-hmm. like, you know, the intent of something, but mm-hmm. just in general, the word disability does sort of have that negative feel with the word dis being in it. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah, sort of a discussion on you Maybe know, we what, read. what if that word was changed or this this word disability was brought into into language, how how much that would affect things in the future. So it was just a really interesting session, and not really related to Braille per se, but well,
1: it would fit for this episode, this show, though. Yeah, definitely could,
0: for this show. So if we could
1: get her um, to be on someday. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely want to look into that in the future. But yeah, it was a good experience. A little different from the conventions we'd been to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot smaller, and just being run by a different organization feels different in some ways, but. Still a great opportunity and highly recommended. I would recommend any blind people go to a conference like this in the future. Um, I feel like you know there was a good turnout, but there should be more people. Mm-hmm. Should be more people out there, sort of advocating for Braille and getting this stuff m- talked about mm-hmm. more. So,
1: yeah. Well, that was a great sum up. You know, just you and me after their, all that. The guests we've been having. So.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of Outlook. And we will be back next Monday.
1: And you can find us on Twitter uh, at OutlookCFB.
0: And you can also find past episodes on our podcast page at soundcloud.com slash pancakes, which is the name of our podcast. We post the Outlook episodes there as well. So check them out.
1: And See you in November. All right. Have a great week. We'll